welcome to More Deadly, the Director's Cut, where we speak with the women-identified directors who are making the horror films that we love. Joining me to geek out, as always, is the brilliant, lovely, insightful, and unique. You are a unique person. We're going to go with that. Ariel! I mean that. You are unique. No one is like you, Ariel. No one else on this planet. I will take that as a compliment. It was meant as a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Even though my delivery suggested otherwise. Your delivery was like, like, you are a big weirdo. That's what I I mean. That is what I meant. (laughs) I meant it as a compliment. I also warned you before the show that I'm it's been a long week and so my the synapses are maybe not firing quite as quickly as they normally do. There's a little bit of a lag. It's kinda yeah. I'm kind of like on Zoom rules, right? Where there's just like that weird delay. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, how has your week been? Are you like all ready for the holidays? What's going on? God, no. No, I'm not ready. (laughs) (laughs) They have snuck up on me. I've done approximately 10% of the shopping I need to do for people. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I have my Christmas trees in my living room, but there's nothing on it. Oh, no. so basically, <laughs> I'm struggling a little. <laughs> you have created the the object that the cats will terrorize without actually the joy of having things on it to look at. Precisely. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm doing a little bit better. I think I would say I'm like 85% done with my shopping. Oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. Well, I just like sat down and like knocked it out because I just I'm determined to enjoy the crap out of Christmas this year. And usually I'm so busy that I'm like, oh my God, it's Christmas. Right. Um, so this year, right. no, no, no. I'm I am making sure that I have time to drink the nog, to bake the cookies, <laughs> or should I say, burn the cookies? <laughs> oh my god, you are such a better baker than you give yourself credit for. Babe. No, I'm really not. <laughs> I know, I know that I'm my harshest critic, and you're always giving me a hard time. But like, the facts are facts, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all right. Well, anyways, we actually have a very special gift holiday gift for our listeners today because we had the true pleasure and i do mean true pleasure of Mm -hmm. sitting down and chatting with the brilliant and totally charming camille griffin today to discuss her holiday film that we just recently reviewed silent night which if you haven't seen it yet you really, really need to because yes. we're going to, for one thing, we're going to spoil it in this interview, <laughs> but also you just need to see it. Uh, and it's available now on AMC+. In this interview, we, do, we talk about the pain and pleasure of putting your art out into the world and seeing how it's received, working with family, because as we discussed in our review, three of the castmates are related to the director. And how the industry, the film industry, is and isn't changing for women. And, like, that's just the beginning. We were supposed to have just 15 minutes with her. We ended up almost at 40 minutes because we just had such a great sort of broad-ranging discussion. And I think we were all just having too much fun to wrap it up. And I, like, truly, I mean that. It was one of the most fun interviews I think we've ever done, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. It was a blast. She mm-hmm. was great. I honestly, if I, if I'm honest... It was a little intimidated going into it just because mm-hmm. the caliber of actors she had in her movie, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Ugh. 
but and the sort of sophistication of the film itself (laughs) yes and she is so sophisticated yes yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) but she was really down to earth really fun very charming super Mm -hmm. smart it Mm -hmm. was a very enjoyable interview yeah it did nothing to um end my total fangirling over female directors (laughs) (laughs) so uh what do you say we get into it what do you think yeah let's do it all right without further ado this is our conversation with camille griffin director of silent night Okay, so first of all, I just wanted to start off by saying congratulations on Silent Night. We both really loved the movie, and I think it's very clear that it's a true labor of love. Thank you. Um, And (laughs) thank you. So we wanted to know that now if now that an audience is finally getting a chance to see something that you've put all your hard work and soul into, how that experience has been for you, and if there was anything about that that you found surprising or that you didn't expect. I didn't expect it to be... I'm just going to... I know we're recording. I'm just going to tell my family we're recording because I can hear them chatting in the background. We're just, we've just. got one last... <laughs> Sorry, no I'm going to shout now. Uh, we just got one last interview. Thank you. Um, I didn't know it was going to be so painful... <laughs> If I'm honest. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's a bit honest to say that. But I, I knew, I mean, I, I, I was so excited and I was incredibly grateful. I didn't know that this sure. story would be so emotionally painful, actually. Um, mm. And I was probably a nightmare for my producers because I didn't want to lose things. I mean, I, actually, I, I was actually pretty good about losing things. I, I shot things that I knew would never make it into the cut. Um we had a great potato sequence, which uh, I lost very early on. Um, oh, no. <laughs> the potatoes. I feel were... like there's still a little bit. Of, there's still a little potato in there yeah. because there's a great moment where she steals the potato. I know. <laughs> I know. We had we had a really good moment. Annabelle actually throws a throws a, um, a Brussels sprout at the children. Uh, <laughs> oh my yeah, god! We, we, we had this whole like one minute sequence of the potatoes going around, and my my producer was like, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "I know, I know. We're not going to lose that." So I knew I'd lose. I knew I'd lose. <laughs> things but I didn't know um I found it for instance uh Kirby who played Alex um mm-hmm. we we didn't get to uh she didn't we didn't get to film her death scene um because we had to suddenly lock down because we oh. I wrote it obviously pre-pandemic and then we started filming it as mm-hmm. the pandemic started to kind of enter our worlds you know leave China and enter our worlds and um yeah and uh, we wrapped two days early because our, our government was, uh, we were going to lockdown on Monday. So we wrapped on a Wednesday. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I knew that, the, I knew that people needed, a, you know, time to go to the, to the shops and buy food and medication and all those things. And, and mm-hmm. so we didn't kill, um, poor Kirby, uh, Alex, not, not Kirby. <laughs> Kirby's still alive and well, thank goodness. Um, um, but then George Floyd, I mean, sorry to be so dark, but George, yeah. George Floyd was, 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 um, killed and, um, mm-hmm. and, you know, which broke everyone's hearts around the world. I mean, you know, I, I don't even want to kind of talk about it cause yeah. I don't know anything I say to not measure up to what happened, but I said to my producers, right. we've got to be really, uh, careful now, you know, I mean, we should be careful yeah. anyway. Sorry, that sounds, but of course, you know, how do we kill Alex, uh, without, right. yeah. I wanted her to have a, 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 um, a, I wanted her to go out into the, into the gas, into the poison, into the cloud and get in the car and turn on the radio and listen to Buble. And they were like, nah, <laughs> Matthew Vaughan was like, nah, that's not dramatic enough. And I was like, Jesus. So there were so moments like that. <laughs> I knew that I didn't want to kill my characters in a way. Like yeah, I actually found it sure. kind of painful 
killing them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, did I kill them? I mean, I suppose, yeah, the government did, but I suppose I did because I invented that. Um, so, <laughs> so even though I think when you when you make a film and you kind of create these fantastical situations and they're, and they're metaphors for things, it's still painful. It's still sad. And then the edit, like I said, I mean, yeah, I just didn't know it was going to be so painful. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to put a downer on your podcast. No, no, no. I appreciate it. I love the honesty. Are you kidding? It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You, you know, speaking of Kirby Holloway, she's, she's amazing. But the entire cast is just so incredible. Mm. And yet somehow your sons and Roman in particular completely steal the show. Oh, yeah. We were blown away by their performances and their ability to have amazing com- comedic timing at such a young age. Yeah. What was it like directing them? Did you have to kind of switch in between mom mode and director mode? I think it's... What was that I like? think I think I was lucky because my husband's talking in the background. Ben, I, I can hear you, darling. <laughs> my husband works so this is- my husband works in the film industry and he would never I would never talk while he was being interviewed <laughs> <laughs> he's so mean um, this is where the magic of the yeah, interview happens yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very kind thoughtful man but he's talking um, I've got, I've got um, I don't know if it's an ADHD thing because I've got ADHD but I can hear everything around the house Like, sure. it's oh, a totally. nightmare especially when people are eating popcorn in the cinema but um, oh god, yeah. I mean, Don't we can all started. hear that, right? We can all hear that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. who oh, invented yeah. popcorn in cinemas anyway in the first place? Yeah, why were they like, let's pick the I crunchiest, know. loudest snack and put it in a movie theater? <laughs> I know. It's so, it's such a bad idea. Um, but the boys, the boys, they're, I mean, they're they're funny people, and they're mm-hmm. they're sweet uh, kids, and they're good natured kids, and they're also um, up for a, a fight. You know, not like not like a physical fight. For they're up for like a good old debate. Uh, uh-huh. They're not they're oh, not great. modest. And uh, I mean, like I said, they sometimes they're the most well behaved children you'll ever meet. And then in private, they're like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> Shut up!" So there's lots of fighting in our house. Um, <laughs> so I don't think the timing or anything that was that was easy for them. I think uh-huh. being a parent, I knew. I care very much generally, and maybe it's not as helpful. I think it's important, but the people are safe and they eat properly and they don't work too hard. And yeah, so I think it was important that I knew that the children would be safe because I think, not safe, obviously they were safe. No one's going to like do anything to them on set. But I mean, like that they felt confident and supported and happy. Yeah. And the cast were incredibly kind and, and, the, and the, the crew were incredibly kind. So it was a very nice environment. And then... Um, when they didn't do what I wanted, then I said, do what I want. <laughs> it sounds awful. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I'm being very simplistic, but um, I could I could say to my kids, someone else's child, maybe it would have taken me maybe eight minutes to get the performance and moments. Whereas them, I could just go, why? Just just give this a go. Like, remember this and this. And, and it was instant. So that there was a shorthand that was very helpful. Oh, that's great. Um, but but yeah. obviously you can't always work with your family. It doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> um, but I was very lucky to have them, really. Can I just ask the interactions between the twins in the movie, especially, for instance, when they're sort of trying to make their Coke glasses come out to an equal amount? Did you draw from your real life experience with that? I mean, I think 
it's funny actually because someone said the other day is it like is it just twins I was like isn't it just all kids aren't you just supposed to treat all kids equally and like you can't spend more money on one person's Christmas present than the other and it's like and then you've got to make sure all you've got to spend the same amount and then they've got to have the same amount of things to open I mean it's really tricky um if we're we're talking about Christmas like how yeah so um that was the kind of that was just like I just thought that was an automatic like tap in for anyone who looks after children yeah Yeah. you know whether that's a carer whether that's a parent a family member you know um but they were very sweet that there was something very natural about their their performance they just they're Mm -hmm. like these two innocents who who, who are just going along with what's going on and they just wanted a nice cold Coke and they don't get that. And they still don't get it because the parents drink it. And, you know, without the spoilers, so it was kind of sad for them. Um, yeah. But yeah. I think it's those little moments that really make this movie special or those little human moments. And so that really stood out to us. And we talked when, when we talked about the film previously, that was something we, we laughed about and really enjoyed. Um, and I think that that's kind of true across the board. Like all of your characters are so fully realized. They're like, they're flawed, but they're funny. Um, I love the moment where they're like wishing they had voted green on the like the cusp of an apocalypse when it's too late. That really made me laugh. But I, I ultimately, despite their flaws, I found them so lovable. Like when you talked about the pain of of having them die, I I felt that as well, even when they're really terrible. So I wanted to know how you approached writing them, and not to ruin your actual real life Christmas dinner. Are they based on people in your life? I or mean, that you know? I think everything. <laughs> I mean, uh, you'd feel very sorry for me if they were. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I know why. I know why I recognize you two. I listen to your podcast. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yesterday, I think. Did you have a podcast? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. you were very sweet because actually, I, should I, I shouldn't interrupt your question, but no, I, no, no, I could see that I could see that you were really uh, defensive of it in a sense of the film. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that you absolutely. were allowing, uh, you were giving me, um, what's the word, um, the the benefit of the doubt, you know, about the whole yeah. COVID thing, which we can talk about later. But um the the what did you ask me? Because obviously I've just distracted us. Oh, the um, how you approach writing the characters. Oh, the characters. Oh, do I know people like that? Oh, well, well. The interesting thing is, like, I don't know if you've done any psychotherapy. I've done loads. It doesn't really make much difference. Um, <laughs> but um, the Jungian, like Carl Jung or whoever, you know, Freud, whatever. Everyone believes that when you dream, that you're all the characters in your dream. You're like the person trying to kill you, or the person running away, la la la. So I think all the characters are obviously like exaggerations of elements of ourselves. Um, you know, like Roman's character is probably what I was like as a kid, getting in trouble and arguing with my parents. And I mean, I was never uh-huh. as br- brave and as rude, as cheeky as that. Uh, I wouldn't have gotten away with it. But um, and the Lily Rose <laughs> character kind of in a way represents what, how I felt as, um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a young woman in my early 20s and my teen years. So I think, but do I know? I mean, I know, I know, I know a lot of uh, posh twats and I know a lot of great posh people. And... Um, <laughs> And I think, uh, no, no, I just, no, I don't. They're, 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 they're purposely supposed to be cliches in a sense. Sure. And then sure. within the cliche, I try to give them character. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I have to admit, I've done a terrible thing as a first time filmmaker. I've like read everything and heard everything, which is why I heard you guys. Oh. And I really actually did enjoy your podcast. Um, oh, um, thank you. Um, but I, I, uh, 
yeah, I, I've listened to some of, you know, a lot of the criticism is like, well, are these real characters? Well, the point is, if you know there's people or this landscape or these kind of people in your life, you go, well, of course, I know that guy and I know her and I know there's a Sandra in everyone's lives. I mean, they don't get away with that bad a behavior, but everyone's behavior is heightened because they're all going to die. Um, so I thought that was, yeah. I mean, I suppose yes and no is the answer. I could have just said yes and no 10 minutes ago, right? <laughs> but what's the fun in that? <laughs> no, it's a great answer. Uh, something else we really appreciated about this film is just how thematically dense it is. I mean, you talk about issues of class and race and you deal with parenthood, friendship, and even eco-horror, of course. Yeah. So and how that sort of correlates to starting a family. And then it's set at Christmas. What is it that you hope your audience take away from all of that being included? Well, I think there's an awful lot. And I think that different things will hopefully speak to different people. I think what's helpful, mm-hmm. for instance, when you're casting the film, um, you, you like to think, okay, well, if you have, you know, if you have a young person and maybe young people watch it, if you have a teen person, do you mean like, you know, they make teen movies for teen audiences? It's just like, in a way, like I wasn't trying to take boxes for people um, but really, if it starts with my own relationship with the privileged classes and my own background and and the issues I have with the world I live in, um, all those themes are ticked. You know, it's like, what does it mean to be a parent? What does it mean to be a good parent? What does it mean to be a bad parent? And I think generally speaking in society, in our kind of Western world, uh, we're never allowed to talk about how difficult it is to parent. And, you know, and, 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 and no one's allowed to say that birth is the worst thing in the world. Like, you know, right. women, women <laughs> right. face death all day long, every day, giving birth to children that, that, and no one gives mm-hmm. them credit. They're like, okay, now you've done that. Get on with it and look after your baby. Like only in our dumb world do, do people yeah. expect mothers to cope after giving birth. And, you know, in other communities, they have people around them to support them and people, you know, the communities mm-hmm. to come together. Yeah, so, absolutely. so for me, the issue of parenting was important. The issue of, of, uh, of the privileged classes and, Let's see what happens to them when they can't run away or pay their way out of it or educate themselves out of something. Um, and, and, and then the environmental thing actually came from my kids because originally I wrote it and it was a, it was a virus, weirdly enough. Um, and then okay. my uh-huh. then agent was like, nah, that never happened. Uh, so I was like, okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Fire okay. him immediately. Yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. That, that, that happened a while ago. Um, but he actually fired me. Um, but anyway. Um, but if Betsy regrets it now. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> if you're listening, I won't say your name, but if you're listening. Um, anyway, so um, so that the children were, were talking. Hardy, um, one of the, the one of our twins, was, was talking about the environment. Um, so it all made sense. But fundamentally, I was uh, trying to make a socialist film. I know you talked about it in your podcast that mm-hmm. um, that I, I I'm I don't have the the my life is in a place where I can become an activist and go out and move into the refugee camps and, and do the things that I think needs to happen. But I can potentially maybe make a film that creates a conversation. So that's what I was really trying to do was talk about the things that matter to me. Um, and raise questions and not not try and um, project like you know judgment or um, um, but to ask questions and what's fascinating about the mm-hmm. film is that people either hate it or love it but there, it doesn't seem there doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be much middle ground people are really either offended oh, interesting and I think it's all a projection you know I think if people yeah. are more honest with themselves and can look at themselves they can enjoy the film more um, mm-hmm. but when people, when people really hate it, I was like what is it about it you hate is it because you don't what is it you know it's fascinating um 
but, not everyone's up to the challenge. It's a challenging movie. And yeah. I think there's real reward there if you're willing to be challenged by it. But some people are not ready for that. And yeah, that's too bad for them. <laughs> well, yeah, or for me, because they write shitty comments on Twitter. Oh, um, no. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I think it's a privilege to make a film. And I think I can't make a film like this and expect uh, just uh, positivity, of course. But I think mm. the whole anti vax conversation drives me crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we finished this film a year ago and I think it's very unfortunate. Um, but I think what mm -hmm. you did understand, because I've, I've heard you say it, is that uh, my challenge is with the government. It's not with science or do we trust scientists? I mean, the fact is, when I wrote right. when I wrote that dialogue, um, I was talking about envir environmental environmental information reaching the general public. You know, yes. and what does the government share and what does the government tell you? And, and how does an immoral government uh, solve a giant problem, which is or their population is going to die. Well, they don't want the hospitals filling up, but let's just get rid of them. You know, whereas the vaccine conversation right. is what we do yeah. to save lives, not end them. Um, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think it's kind of a, a, a very lazy uh, interpretation some people have on it. And I, I can't blame people for that because why would they not? But that's my greatest frustration, I'd say, about the film. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I can I can totally understand that. And also as someone who has to consume American news, like it the film resonated. Yes, yeah. I know. For sure. <laughs> I know. And I I actually I, I you know, I I follow a lot of people um and you see the you know, what about that poor man, that old man in his wheelchair the other day? I mean, it's like what the hell? Oh my god. I mean, that I don't even think the horrifying. British would do that. I mean, the British done some terrible things, but I don't even think our police would uh, behave or get away with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Our police bad. are very hold my beer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so yes. So on a on a more well, actually, I kind of want to get your take because we kind of see this as positive. But I want to know from your perspective. Mm. One of the things, as you you've listened to our podcast, you know that our podcast is all about celebrating the work that women are doing in the horse space. Like right. that is really kind of our passion. And Great. so we're noticing that there seems to be a trend that there are more and more women-directed horror films coming out, yeah. which, which we're hoping is a sign of a shift in the industry. And I wanted to know, as someone who's actually on the other end of that, the person who's making these films, does that ring true for you? And if so, why do you think that is or is not happening? I think, I can't speak for every female filmmaker out there, but I just know that it's very, very hard for um, mm -hmm. uh, women and, and, and underrepresented um, uh, backgrounds for people to make films. So as a woman... I, I think it's just sheer frustration. You end up getting so frustrated. I mean, my material has always been dark, but I would say that I think we've just been pushed to the edge in a way creatively. Uh, I can't say that for everyone, but I think you end up going as, as extreme as you go. And I think horror is extreme storytelling because yeah. it's because it's like, well, what do I have to do to be heard or to be, or to be given the opportunity to make a film? And what, it, what do I need to write about uh, for someone to sit up, a financier to sit up and go, yeah, that's interesting. So I wonder if that's got something to do with it. I wonder if it's like an unconscious frustration as filmmakers where we're just just going all out and going, well, this is who we are uh, um, and you need to sit up and listen. Or, uh, But I wonder if that's what it is. I, 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 I think it might be. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's really. And interesting. women are braver. That does have a ring of truth. You know, I think women are braver and they're more honest about things naturally. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah, we definitely feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Watching that, your film and Titane were the two we kind of watched back to back. Oh wow! And You're I, lucky. I, I haven't seen it yet. 
Ooh. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Camille, you must watch it. I can't it. wait to because watch it. I think we maybe even talked about this on the podcast. Like I kind of put you guys in a similar space in that you're kind of rule-breaking dangerous filmmakers who are not afraid to write like make very confrontational films and that's extremely exciting as a horror fan so i i definitely resonate with what you're saying about just like the frustration and being like that's it we're just gonna do it i think she sounds phenomenal that filmmaker and what i love about her i mean fundamentally the french make great movies and the french aren't afraid of um talking about extreme subject matter so i think Mm -hmm. that really helps that she's She's in an industry that probably encouraged that. Um, yeah. But I, I've got a feeling that she's just like, screw it. I'm going to just do what I want. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about and that, and her environment is supportive of that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully um, with films like Titan and, and I can't speak for myself because I don't want to give myself that credit, but I think if we are allowed to make more films, like one of my messages to, to new filmmakers is like, when you get like fight for your chance, but when you get your chance, make sure you're good. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't mean that you can't make mistakes. I mean, obviously there's plenty of mistakes in my film, but like be good so that more people, more women get a chance to make films. Like we're, we're not just making films for ourselves. We're making films for other filmmakers. So they get opportunities. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. So I know that when Rachel was sort of telling me about your background, that you've actually been working in the filmmaking industry for quite a while. Yes. And been spending time trying to get feature-length films made. Yeah. Can you talk at all about sort of the struggle of being taken seriously and then the getting finances, financing piece of it as a woman director? Well, I really actually, I think at some point, I, I want to ask the the funders how if mm-hmm. they would, in the UK, if they would... If they if they ever see my film, whether they would now fund me, I actually don't want their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anything to do with them. Um, but the thing is, I think there's two things. First of all, I'm posh. I don't think that helps. I think in the UK, um, I can't speak for for your for your industry, but I think in the UK, mm-hmm. the films that um, get made are, are working class stories, and they're they're very good mm-hmm. and. Um, and there's a reason for that. And I, and I think that it doesn't help that I'm talking about the middle classes because I think most of the gatekeepers in the UK are middle class. And I've always, my work's always kind of like held up a, uh, a projected image of, of the worst and the best of us. So I don't think that helped. And also a lot of the feedback I'd get over the years was, is too ambitious, is too totally ambitious. And there's a general assumption that I think that they make that, that filmmakers can't be good or, or can't handle their material. And I think that's why I'm grateful that I met Matthew Vaughan because he's an ambitious man and he, he, he's a successful man in his ambition. You know, he doesn't sit around going, oh, I need permission. So I spent years trying to get permission from the industry and they wouldn't give it to me. Um, and I was forced into, you know, giving up. And, and my final attempt was writing Silent Night and it was a very quick... Uh, and hadn't I not been on the set of Jojo Rabbit, which was also another privilege, and I saw what Taika was doing with comedy, I was like, I get it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and soften the blow of my material uh, <laughs> yeah. by making the odd gag here and there, maybe, maybe you know, using um, comedy to facilitate that. Um, yeah. But I, I, I can't be, I can't lie. I'm very angry that it's, I'm 47 and I've had to wait 20 odd years. You know, I've been trying. Yeah. I did everything. I did all their schemes. I did all their training programs. I did everything I could do to, 
Mm-hmm. And maybe if I hadn't, I wouldn't have had this opportunity that I've had now. Maybe I, I, I think I've done a good job. Whether people yes. like the film or not, yes. I think it shows 100%. that I, I haven't wasted anyone's money or time. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it frustrates me. I, I think they need to make more films and braver films. And by the way, they make films with government money. It's not even like they didn't even need to make profit on those movies. So let them make. Let they shouldn't be making crazy decisions. And if they lose a bit of dosh, who cares? Like it's not even their private yeah, equity. That's you know, a good point. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think they make safe choices, which is frustrating. Yeah. Well. That's boring. I'm glad that you found a way to make <laughs> your you. film. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> so obviously you have been doing the whole tour talking about this movie. You've probably asked, been asked the same questions a thousand times. We're probably guilty of asking a few of them ourselves. So we wanted to know from you if there's anything about the film or the process of making the film that no one has asked you that you've been waiting for someone to ask you about so you could talk about it. Well, okay, so I don't want to, this is, this is really interesting because I've just been asked a question about 10 minutes ago that no one else has asked me, which is like, would, I, would I take the pill? So, uh, oh. um, <laughs> but actually, um, and it's amazing because no one's asked me that before. I was like, that's so interesting. And then someone else asked me, was I nervous to make the film? So those were both really good questions. And I, and, and I don't want to fill your podcast up with someone else's answer. So what would I, uh, what would I uh what would I want to talk about well obviously the anti-vaccine we've kind of covered I think haven't we um but I don't know I think it was I think oh I don't bloody know throw something at me something throw whatever you want to ask me anything you can ask me because I'm very open to anything what did you want to ask me but you were too frightened to ask me oh (laughs) (laughs) honestly you know I was we You've been so forthcoming. Like a lot of the questions that we were like, oh, is that maybe a little like we don't want to end her day on like a more serious note. And you went those places. So now, though, you have piqued my curiosity. Uh, yeah. Would you, would you take the pill? <laughs> oh, yeah. Would I take the pill? <laughs> I need well, to know. you know, I, I've got a mind that goes into, you know, I could just be driving to the supermarket and be thinking terrible things like, what would I do in this situation? And, um, I was very frightened as a kid when I learned about uh, nuclear war and I was very frightened about the tsunami. And uh, in fact, we came to live in LA for six months and I wouldn't live anywhere near the beach. I was like, Ben, that, that's the tsunami, tsunami zone. And it was like, <laughs> are you crazy? Um, um, but um, the truth is, I think I'm a courageous person. I definitely, mm-hmm. um, I some my kids and I play this game like in the car, like, would you sacrifice yourself to save other people? I think that's like, that's a game we play. And, and, and we once drove a friend of theirs uh, home from the cinema and we asked that kid the question. He was like, God, no. And we were like, what about for your brothers? He's like, no. I mean, I want it. And we were both like, we were like, oh, this is worrying. Um, so the point is like, I would go above and beyond to protect my kids. I'd go above and beyond uh, to protect other kids. But we're like, when you watch the Titanic, it's like, um, there's a thing called EasyJet, which is like a cheap airline in the UK. And I just know for a fact they would okay. like throw anyone off boards just to save themselves. But like, uh-huh. who, would you, who would you put in the dinghy? It's the same thing. Like, who would you save? For, you know, if I could sacrifice myself to save, you know, 10 kids, of course I would. Um, so would I actively kill my children? No, I wouldn't. But yeah. what do you do when you can't protect your children? So I actually understand everyone's argument in the film. Like I understand yeah. Nell's uh, when she says to Art in the car, she's like, We've, I've been through every 
possible outcome and I and I can't leave my child to suffer alone like that I get does it mean I would do the same but the difference is I would have the conversation and I would ask them what they wanted but yeah it's the ultimate it's the ultimate fear is that your kids don't need you anymore or they don't want you anymore or that you can't protect them anymore so there's ego wrapped up in responsibility which I think is a very challenging thing as a parent it's like when your parents when he says I don't care anymore (laughs) about you two it's like wow uh yeah um in the film so I I don't think I'd take it but I don't know I mean who knows Maybe. Yeah, I feel like the minute the seizure started, I'd be like, give me the pill. Give me the pill. I do my Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I definitely know I'd rather take that pill than drown in the sea for an hour, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got yeah, a fear of drowning. Too. I'm terrified. Like, that's my ultimate. And falling. I, I jumped up a plane when I was 21 and I've never recovered. I have these falling dreams all the time. I'm just falling. Oh, um, no. Yeah. So, <laughs> so reverse exposure therapy. Yeah. It's just, I just, I just think it's interesting to explore our darkest fears, right? And, yeah. And yeah, how far definitely. would we go? Film's good at doing that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're wrapping up, we actually heard that you have an upcoming film uh, yes. starring again, Kira Knightley. Yeah. Can you tell us about that and sort of any other projects you might have in the works? Yes. Well, I was very lucky um, because, uh, well, thanks to AMC and RLJE Films, they bought our film. Um, Amazing. But that took a year. Uh, we weren't looking for a year, but a year ago when we had finished the film, the studios watched the films and they were like, we love the film, but there's no way we can release this. So we sat on the gotcha. we sat on the film for a while. So that's like literally it was finished a year ago before they even had vaccines. So that's oh, important geez. to say. Um, and there was no opening up the edit and changing things. Um, but basically, the studios then saw the film and they're like, "Okay, cool, she's interesting. What has she got up her sleeve?" And I'd written um, a treatment for a sci-fi like ten years ago. I kept rewriting the treatment because I, you know, I knew that the world rules mattered. And until I got that right, anyway, I finished this film. And I thought, do I sit down and cry because it was such like an emotional experience or do I just write? And I wrote the script and I said to Kira, would you read it? And she was like, she read half of it because I was halfway through. I was like, would you read it? She was like, yeah, sure. You know, we're we're all locked down. We're not doing anything. So she was like, yeah, cool. This is great. If the second half is as good as the first half, I'm in. So then I finished it and she was like, I'm in. Yes. Which is amazing. And it's basically set in the future and a whole generation of children have lost their parents to illness of some kind and they're a generation that weren't parented so that's the backstory and then when they become adults the government implements laws to um to protect uh children so they implement like parenting laws and conception laws and her character is that she's a parental license and she believes in the system but the system is controversial and it's about her relationship as a mother and the system as things turn against her Oh, that sounds fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll be making that with Searchlight and they're amazing. And then I have a project in development with Netflix and like a whole ton of stuff I want to do next. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, so, so I'm lucky. Exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, um, does that answer that question? Absolutely. Yes. 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 What about you two? Are you, are you filmmakers? 
No. <laughs> I, I wrote my very first treatment recently. And congratulations. <laughs> so, but I wanted to see if I could do it. And it was a lot of fun. And it was a really great learning experience. So who knows? Maybe next time. Well, we don't stop you, there. Don't stop yeah. there. Keep going. <laughs> That's what I keep telling you. Yeah, I, yeah, I will. <laughs> I definitely exciting. will. Um, uh, but we're lucky. We need people like you guys, you ladies supporting us. Oh yeah, yeah. we oh, we are, we love doing it. It's so much fun to find also just like a new voice in the genre that we love, and we're so so excited to see what you're gonna do next. Thank uh, you. That project sounds incredible. I can't wait to see Thank what you. you develop at Netflix. You, one thing you can count on is we'll be watching and talking about yes. everything that you do. <laughs> That's very now. kind. That's very very kind we, of you. And I'll be listening really? to you. I'll be sneakily oh. listening to you. Oh, I'll be like, oh, that's, like, that's why I was like, I know these ladies. I heard them chatting. <laughs> yeah. Thank God you were nice, right? Can you imagine? I'm joking. Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, honestly, thank you for making a good movie. It was not, it was not hard to be nice okay. when the movie was okay. so great. Well, thank um, you. So... In the, uh, you are working on these projects. So if people want to kind of follow along and keep track of, you know, what you're up to, is there anywhere they can find you online? Uh, I've just set my Instagram to, um, to public. Uh, they can message me or, um, and I don't know. I think the Twitter is at Bonton Griffin, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, great. Yeah. And get your treatment written into a script. I mean, that's my next step. I've never yeah. written dialogue, so I'm like, that's oh, that's be... the easy bit. That's the easy bit. Is it okay? Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's a really <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's easy. That's the easy bit. I think anyway. Um, oh. Well, that was fun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for giving us extra time. Too. Yes. I really appreciate so it. This was wonderful. This, um, thank you. Yeah. Much. Of course. Lovely to meet awesome. you both. Yes, congratulations. Thank yeah, you. congratulations again on the movie. And I'm I'm so, so, so excited to see what happens next. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So that was our interview with Camille Griffin. Okay. How funny and amazing was she? Ariel. She's great. I really loved talking to her. It was so much fun. And sort of the casual way she was with us how open she was about mm -hmm. everything was just great I know that we were a little bit you know nervous about exactly which questions we should ask her because we didn't think we were going to have much time mm -hmm. but she gave us so much time and she was really like forthcoming with everything yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. definitely I'm super excited for what she's got coming down the pipe too I know it sounds great yeah I mean you know I love anything that's like about you know complicated motherhood stuff yeah that's always interesting to me and having gotten just even just the tiniest little glimpse into her mind with silent night i cannot wait to see what this is going to be like because she she kind of touched on the fact that part of the writing and rewriting of the treatments was because she had to get the world right i don't know if you heard her say got that yeah when she said that. yeah all the rules that of is the world mm -hmm. very interesting to me because i love a good world building yeah, and sometimes with sci-fi movies, they focus on the wrong things, you know, like it's all flash, yeah. but the rules of how the world works and sort of the setting aren't right. So that's really exciting that she spent so many years working on that part of it. Yeah. And how sweet was she to encourage me to keep writing? That I was know. really nice. <laughs> I mean, She's like so kind. I mean, that's what we, I, I kind of feel like we kind of got to see in action sort of this yes. ideal of like women lifting each other up and encouraging each other. Yeah. Like I, I am such a proponent of that, but it was kind of 
incredible to experience it in real time in real life i don't know i mean it was a small gesture to just be like don't give up but it meant a lot to me actually yeah yeah she was really really nice and it was kind of cool because i know that in our review when you were talking about you read off a quote that she had about uh-huh. that very thing yeah you know mm-hmm. and so to hear her actually speak that in yeah. real life it's not just a platitude <laughs> that she said in an interview you know yeah. what I mean oh 100 really percent. Cool. yeah yeah it was great I I really hope I can't wait for her next one to come out and I hope she comes back on the show because I really admire her filmmaking and would love to chat with her again she was great yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. so everybody one last Pitch. If you have not watched Silent Night yet, grab your tissues, get ready to laugh, get ready to cry, get ready to get into that festive holiday spirit and really want roasted potatoes. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it gave me like like the scarcity of roasted potatoes and the appearance of those potatoes caught like it, it did some things to my brain. <laughs> so check out Silent Night on AMC Plus. You will not regret it. Okay, so for those of you at home, maybe you had some thoughts on our interview or you had some questions, whatever the case may be, you can always reach us at rachel at zombiegirls.com or you can chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page or hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at ZG Podcasts, plural. If you love the show, please review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. If you're looking for something spooky tonight and you've already watched Silent Night, check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z dot com. And if you're looking for a really cool new shirt or sweater or tote bag or whatever, maybe it's a, you're looking for that perfect gift, Check out our merch at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch. And if you love us and you want to support us and you want more of this content and these dulcet tones in your ear, then you should support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls, where all of our episodes are extended and you get to join us on the Discord and get all the behind the scenes tea, all that good stuff. All right. So that's it for all my plugs. Ariel. Will you do me a solid and take us on out? All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of More Deadly Director's Cut. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Camille Griffin. She was amazing. We hope you check out her movie, Silent Night, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And to my co-host and good friend, Ariel, for always teaching me something new. Production on this episode was done by yours truly and edited by Ariel. Our theme song for the show is More Deadly by DJ Sharton.